to Maritime AgCast, the podcast dedicated to the farmers and the farm community of the Maritimes. We will discuss all things related to the livestock industry with local, regional and national guests, as well as keep you up to date with current markets and industry events. Today we will be joined by Jeff Clark to discuss pig trace and swine traceability in Canada. Jeff has been involved with the design, development, and implementation of Canada's swine traceability system, Pig Trace, since 2005. First, as the Manitoba Pork Council representative on the Canadian Pork Council's National Traceability Committee, then as the national director of the program in 2009. Pig Trace became mandatory in 2014. Jeff has enjoyed a diverse background in natural sciences, ranging from positions in molecular biology, medical research, and wildlife management. He holds a BSc degree from the University of Winnipeg, where he conducted cancer research, as well as a master's degree in natural resource management from the University of Manitoba, where he conducted an extensive research project focused on the genetic composition and habitat availability of woodland caribou in western central Manitoba. Welcome, Jeff. So today we're going to be joined by Jeff Clark. He's a colleague of mine who works with Canadian Pork Council as the director of the Pig Trace program. Jeff, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Brad. It's a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to get Jeff to give us just a little bit of a background of, about what Pig Trace is and maybe its history and, and how we really got to July 1st of 2014. Right. So in this day of COVID, we can, we can kind of understand the purpose of Pig Trace a little bit better. And, you know, the, the initial purpose was for foreign animal disease or food safety issues to be able to do contact tracing really quick without having to do a pile of phone calls and and investigations of farms, having the movement information readily available so we can do a quick trace back. We can target our animal health officials to where they need to go. Canada is not overwhelmingly staffed with animal health officials, so we knew we do need to be kind of efficient with the way we do contact tracing and disease investigations. The history, I mean, without getting into too much detail, kind of came about 2003, 2004, the idea of a pig trace, and that this time, you know, BSE was alive and well in the cattle sector. We had foot and mouth disease in the UK, classical swine fever in the Netherlands. We saw all these kind of train wrecks in the other sectors uh, and, and other countries. And the pork sector asked itself, you know, what do we want to do? You know, the governments came to us as well. And, you know, through a lot of years of designing the program, negotiating the regulations, we came to July 1st, 2014, was which uh, that, that was the date that the regulation came into effect. So that's a Cole's notes of the history of the pig trace development. Yeah, that, thanks, Jeff. And I, I think, you know, your timeline, I think, is is pretty important for the livestock folks out there. The, the early 2000s were a, a big challenge for the livestock industry, not just in Canada, but across the world, and really shows the importance of being able to track animals and their whereabouts for a disease. And, you know, we've talked with a lot of vets on this this podcast over time, and I think society in general understands contact tracing better over the last 14 or 16 months than uh, they ever have in, in the history. So that that's great as well. You know, I just to kind of give a little bit of the history here in Nova Scotia or maybe the initial uptake, I can remember going to some of those uh, set up meetings in 2012 and 13 when I joined Pork Nova Scotia and uh, we were kind of thinking about our industry. It's a, the Nova Scotia pork industry is fairly small. We've got 10 or 12 commercial producers and I can remember setting up and going, okay, yeah, we've got to create a few user accounts here and we'll be able to go and that'll be easy. And you know, all of a sudden now we've got 600 pig producers here in Nova Scotia. I think, I think it's been a little bit eye-opening for all of us and, and shows the importance of, of tracking both large and small-scale production. Yeah, and, and likewise, Brad, it came as a huge surprise to me, the volume of uh, small-scale producers we have out there. A lot of really amazing people that 
that buy into the concept. So just to give you some numbers uh, across Canada, we're about you know 8,500 commercial farms and about the same number of small-scale production farms, which you know can range from someone with one or two pigs to someone with five sows and selling some piglets locally. Most of them, you know, producing pigs for their own use and maybe selling a little bit off farm and sharing. Uh, but that's from Yukon right across to Newfoundland. Lots of small-scale producers and you know, so we were a little bit underprepared for that volume of people. I mean, pig trace is more about people, I think, than pigs. Those are the those are the folks that we rely on to get the information to us. And lots of times we get the question, you know, what's the benefit to a small scale producer? Why why should I bother with this program? You know, of course, a, a, a disease outbreak in Canada, you know, a foreign animal disease outbreak like foot and mouth disease or African swine fever would shut down the borders. It would be catastrophic for our commercial producers that export pork, but it would also be devastating for our small-scale community. We would have a lot of movement control measures in place. You know, the, the less we know about, or the less our animal health officials know about what pigs are on the lawns, landscape, the longer the investigation is going to take. So we'd be looking similar to COVID, the types of shutdowns we have, we'd be looking at something similar in the pork industry. And when I say or, or pork sector, which would include small-scale producers. So it could really impact the way small-scale community buy and sell pigs, where they get their pigs slaughtered. So it has a huge impact. So the more, you know, we encourage people to register with our program, it's law. But of course, people can choose what they want to do. But there's there's some huge benefits to doing that, to safeguarding our, our animal health and uh, food safety programs in Canada. And to keep pigs flowing, whether it's for your own use or to export uh, meat globally. Yeah, and I, and I think it's really that that sense of the industry as a whole that's I actually am quite surprised that it's been so well received by small scale producers. You know, it's once you give them a brief explanation of what it is and why you're doing it, they're more than happy to cooperate. And I know, especially here in Nova Scotia, we had a really good uptake in the program from our processors, especially in kind of early 2015, when people were starting to book some of those feeder, their market hogs, but you know, when they were buying their feeder pigs and booking their fall slaughter date, we had great participation from the slaughterhouse saying, hey, look, if you're going you're gonna to bring them here, you have to make sure they're identified. You have to make sure you get your premises identification number, and we're going to do this right. And, and ever since then, it's really been a, a team effort to make sure everybody's able to follow the, the guidelines or rules. Yeah. And a big part of our role and, and yours as well, Brad, is, is to make it easy. And I know there's some self-criticism there and, and external criticism that it's, it's not really easy, but we're constantly trying to make you know, our communications clearer. We're trying to make some of the regulatory requirements a little bit simpler, especially for small-scale producers, and trying to make our database reporting, our mobile phone, all that type of stuff better. There's, there's quirks and bugs to work out, and we're, we take those seriously. I mean, we're not a huge staff, obviously, but we do recognize that, uh, you know, priority number one for our users is to make it user-friendly and, and easy to do this stuff because, you know, if it, we're all human. If we run into too many bumps and hurdles along the way, we're just going to say, forget it. Try to catch me. I'm not going to do this. And we want to avoid that. We want to bring people in and make it easy and, and um, simple to understand. Yeah, and, and I think even early on, I think, I think that's been one of the best parts for us because we're, we're a small staff like most pork organizations are in this country. You know, the, the amount of support that we've had from you and Miriam over the, the life of the program here to make sure that producers are able to, to, first of all, get their accounts, sign in, record those movies, being greatly appreciated. One of the things that, you know, I find interesting or maybe the most challenging from a sector point of view 
is, you know, we, we've got three fundamental components of, of animal traceability, premises identification, animal identification, and movement reporting. And, you know, each one of those things kind of has oversight by either the federal, provincial government or, you know, around the stakeholder engagement stuff, the, the provincial pork organization. I, I think you guys have done a really good job in making that as easy as possible for us because we don't have any control over premises identification, for example, and, and making sure that people get their PIDs. But any comments around that and in some of the work you guys have done to really bring those three very different things together? Yeah, and I, I guess we should start with, you know, and explain what the Canadian Pork Council is. So it's a, it's a federation or partnership of all of our provincial pork offices. So Pork Nova Scotia and Nova Scotia. And that's where I think on a customer service side, we Miriam and I, which is our national team, rely heavily on whatever the provinces can can offer, the provincial organizations can offer. And to try to consolidate these three different elements you talked about, premises ID, the animal ID, and then the movement. So premises identification is, is managed by our provincial governments across Canada. So a lot of the provincial pork offices, they'll they'll collect the necessary information and go get the premises ID on your behalf if you want. In other parts of Canada, you you know, a producer would go ahead and register that premises ID directly with the provincial government. It's multi-species, so if you have cattle, if you have sheep, whatever, it's it's the same number for your parcel of land. That's really critical because when we're doing contact tracing, tracing and movement reporting, we need to talk about a location. Where are these animals? The animal ID component, that's where we get to, into some confusion. A lot of your cattle producers would probably think, well, you know, you, 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 you put an ear, ta- ear tag on every animal. In the pork sector, you know, we did some field trials early on and we just found that the ear tag wasn't necessary for most of our movements. Uh, a lot of the movements are batch movements of piglets going to a grow finish barn and then ultimately off to slaughter with a slap tattoo. So what's the benefit of putting an ear tag in all those pigs? The other kind of detriment to ear tags is uh, pigs like to chew things and, and tag retention. Your cattle listener, listeners will, will understand tag retention is always an issue. Uh, and even more so in pigs as they chew on each other's ears, they get caught on, you know, equipment in the barn. But we do get good reports that, you know, for people who tag their pig early that w- with one of our smaller tags, so we sell small tags as well as large tags for, for breeding animals. The small tags, if they're tagged properly, typically stay in the ear, even out in pasture and get some good retention. But for the most part, our animal ID requirement applies to pigs going to slaughter, pigs going through an auction or assembly yard, things like that. But farm-to-farm movement of pigs, uh, with the exception of breeding pigs such as sows and boars, but for the most part, farm-to-farm movements don't require identification. We usually tell small-scale producers, you know, if you're if you have sows and you're producing piglets and you're selling them to your neighbors, uh, it's up to you. It's not required to put an ear tag in, but it's sure a convenience for the people buying pigs from you, because when they ultimately go to slaughter, they won't have to identify them themselves. And then last component is the movement, and that's for me, that's that's the real target. That's what we're after is to know where and when the pigs have moved, uh, what vehicle. There is identifi- identifiers such as ear tags or a slap tattoo uh, to report that as well. Yeah, I think you've done a really good dis- good job describing why and how all three components really fit together. Because if you look at any one of them in isolation, you don't really get the full picture of traceability. And, and it's really that movement recording that ties things together, which is really when I, you know, especially talking to some smaller scale producers that are kind of new to the program, here are upcoming events brought to you by Dalhousie University Faculty of Agriculture. Dalhousie's Faculty of Agriculture is educating the next generation of farmers. Our students learn to solve real-world problems in a friendly, hands-on environment from professors who are leaders in their fields of study. Dal researchers have access to cutting-edge technology, labs, and resources. 
Whether it's applying genetics to improve livestock, working with producers to engineer more efficient blueberry harvesters, or designing smarter Christmas trees, Dal Agriculture is driving the innovation that makes our farming community stronger. Learn more. Visit dal.ca slash agriculture. In upcoming events, the Pork Nova Scotia Annual Meeting is occurring April 21st at the Holiday Inn Express and Suites Halifax Airport. For further information or to register, please contact info at porknovascotia.ca. Regular feeder sales occur every second Tuesday through the spring at Atlantic Starkyards with the next one occurring April 26th at 10 a.m. There will also be an equipment sale on April 23rd starting at 10 a.m. Please check atlanticstockyards.com for a full sale schedule. The Nova Scotia cattle producers have two programs available for 2022, the Nova Scotia Genetic Improvement Program and the Nova Scotia Soil Pasture Forage Management Program. Both programs have application deadlines for both June 30th and November 30th. Additional information can be found at nscattle.ca. There are many Nova Scotia programs open for 2022. For a complete list of programs as well as applications and guidelines, please visit novascotia.ca forward slash programs. That's where they really understand it the most as well, right? Of knowing came from farm A to farm B. I think you guys have done a really good job on coming up with alternatives from the original tag or, or tattoo system, especially for small scale. And, you know, you talk about putting those tags in those wiener pigs or, or feeder pigs. One of the discussions we have here in the office all the time, we have people come to get tags is, would you rather wrestle a 35 pound pig or a 240 pound pig? And, you know, often the answer is, well, let's tag them when they're young and get that done. But can you talk a little bit about the stencil method that was approved in, in 2019 as well? Yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Brad. I was going to go there. So we recognized, you know, with the, the volume of small scale producers we were having registered with us, and we knew there would be some, but by no means did we think we'd be approaching 9,000 today. Lots of times people just needed one or two ear tags. And the ear tags themselves aren't expensive, but shipping them is. So, you know, my typical response would be, I can sell you two ear tags for three bucks but the shipping is going to be 15 to 20. And then on top of that, you're dealing with people who maybe have never tagged an animal before. So they're putting their personal safety on the line if it is a larger pig. And there's also maybe some animal welfare conditions uh, there to consider as well. If they're, if they're mishandling the pig or, you know, hit a vein when they do the tagging, if they're inexperienced. So we were looking for alternatives. So when you're sending a pig to slaughter, you could use either an ear tag or a shoulder slap tattoo. And tattoos work well on most of our commercial pigs because they don't have much hair. And you can see the identification on the pig's skin. Heritage breeds, which most, a lot of the small scale community have, have hair or are dark skinned or dark hair. So a slap tattoo is not visible. Also a slap tattoo equipment, you know, it's not cheap either. It's up, up around $80 or more. So we, we pushed hard for alternatives. And one we came up with was you know, uh, livestock sprays paint is, is commonly used for all kinds of animals. And so we managed to get CFIA to, to agree to allowing us to use a stencil and the producer would spray paint on their, uh, their tattoo number. That's a five digit number assigned to every farm. And they would do that at the time of loading. The spray paint's obviously not gonna stay on for long, but it's really visible. We did some field trials and it works well. The one caveat is we tell everyone, check with your slaughterhouse before you ship because some don't want that. Some prefer an ear tags. That's the business component, but at least we got the regulation to bend a little bit to give us some alternatives there. And we'll continue to push for, for some more to benefit our small scale community. I always have the discussion with folks when they call for tags, because you know, the word on the street is, well, they have to be tagged. And 
really it's, they have to be identified and the discussion is, well, what's the best identification for you? And some folks, it is a tag. Some folks, it's, it is the stencil. You're right. Some of the, the tattoo equipment, I think we sell it out of our office. By the time you buy the hammer, the digits, the ink, the pad, you're up to like 110, 120 bucks. You know, tattoos, we sell them for between two and $5 a piece. You know, so it's really a matter of what do you want to afford? What can you afford? And then the other one I think that's come into to play quite a bit too is how quickly do you need it, right? If, if you need tags, we're in Truro here. So unless you're within driving distance of Truro, you can't get tags overnight. So sometimes the only thing that you can get by the time you're ready to ship those pigs out tomorrow is going to the, the local uh, feed store and some stencil. And I, I think that's really, pardon the pun, save a lot of people's bacon. Uh, in getting hogs to slaughter when they're booked in. Yeah, I think so. And and we do get some criticism. You know, people ask us, why can't I buy ear tags uh, at, the, at the Ag Mart? And the quick answer is we we purposefully centralize the sale of our ear tags because then we, we know who the tags have been sold to. We know who those numbers are allocated to. Uh, not to criticize other systems, but some of the feedback I've had is uh, when you rely on others to sell your products, you're also relying on them for your data quality. So when you're doing a traceback, that ear tag may still show up in the system as on a store shelf somewhere. So we need to we need to know who that ear tag's been sold to. And it also allows us to keep prices low. People may think that the tags are expensive, but we do fund our program entirely off the, the cost of the ear tags. You know, they're, they're cost competitive with what you can get on the market. So uh, if, if you're doing smaller volumes, obviously, if you're buying 20,000 ear tags, you could probably do better than what we sell them to you for. But that's the reason for some of the non-convenience there. And, and, and we recognize that that's why we're looking for alternatives to try to make it quicker, like you say, Brad. Yeah, for sure. So let's go into maybe the next component, just maybe in a little bit more detail, and that's the movement reporting and reporting. So obviously, everybody that calls the office here or your office or another PPO is going to get their pig trace account. They, they're they going to be able to log in and record those movements. What other methods can folks submit their movements to in a fairly timely manner? And what are some of the requirements for the reporting? Right. So we'll we'll start with the different methods of getting the information in and, and pretty much anything will accommodate to what you can do. Anywhere from phone or fax. So we have a 1-800 number, 1-866-300-1825. So if you call that, you hear my, my sweet voice telling you what information you need to provide and you leave a voice message. That way we have a backup and we can prove that, yes, you actually called us. We accept fax, but we, we try to push people towards submitting data electronically and that can be direct in our database. You can go to pigtrace.ca. Now that's the front end. Of course, you need an account to log in. And, and from there, you'll be prompted to, to submit the information. And you can also do file upload. So if you have a, your own software package or an Excel spreadsheet, you keep information in, you can reformat that. We give you instructions online of what the format is. You can upload that data file. And for the real techies out there, we use XML file transfer. So that's you know seamless, automated. If you have your own system, rather than rekeying the information, you just push a button and it, off it goes to PigTrace. So the data fields required are the, the origin, origin and destination premises. So those would be premises ID numbers the date and time of departure or arrival. And I should mention this applies to both the move out of pigs and move in. So it's a double entry system. The license plate of the vehicle, number of pigs, and then if there's any ear tags or slap tattoos or the spray paint of a herd mark on there, that's the information. So it's pretty basic stuff. Usually where we get some confusion is people barely know their own premises IDs sometimes, never mind the person they're shipping to. So often they're, you know, they're contacting us to get a premises ID number for the, you know, the farm they're shipping to. And unfortunately, we can't make that widely available publicly and have a master list that people can consult because there's privacy concerns here. So we, 
we protect that. We honor that. It makes for some non inconvenience, but we do have within for those who log in using a mobile phone or computer to the website uh, an address book. So we can we can add all the farms that you may ship to all in there. So you don't have to type them. It's we want to just get to point and click as much as possible and eliminate typing. That usability of the interface thing is one of the things that I, I enjoy the most. Even from an administrator point of view, the system is quite intuitive. You're never really more than two clicks away from the information you need, whether it is updating a stakeholder's information or adding a PID or a shipping location to them. So, And I know you folks have done a lot of work, uh, worked with a lot of producers and a lot of organizations, and you're constantly changing that database. Can you talk about maybe some of the things that you're currently working on to make that user experience easy, which I think is all also what helps the you know the good take we have so one of the things i'll focus in on is the ordering of ear tags so we want to try to make that as you know as streamlined as possible and that's that you know that's saving time both for the people trying to order as well as for us as administrators trying to fill orders so people can order online unfortunately it's only on computer not on our mobile platform that's something i want to get changed this year in 2021 to redesign our mobile platform as a true app and that'll give us some more stability and we'll be able to do uh, transactions through the app and you can order online just like with Amazon. But right now you can order online on the computer. Something else of real importance to us these days as, as administrators is program compliance. So we've not done much outreach to tell people, you know, whether you've reported accurately or not. And I always use the, the analogy, if I didn't pay taxes for 10 years and no one contacted me, well, I guess I just won't pay taxes anymore. So it's kind of the same thing with PigTrace. You know, we're going on seven years here now, and we haven't done a lot of outreach back to poke and prod people when they haven't reported. We can see that on our end. We That's why the, the double entry system move out and move in. So if I'm moving pigs to Brad and I report it, but he doesn't, the system knows Brad didn't report. We monitor that in-house, and some of our provinces are starting to do that outreach, but we want to start to do it in an automated way you know, through the database, either when you log in or maybe send you a friendly email. And it's all in a friendly way, right? Like we're trying to encourage participation here. We're not enforcement agents. We're not going to come down on people. But if people give us a hard time, we'll happily refer it over to the CFIA. Those are the ones that can slap some fines on you and make your life miserable. But our approach is a friendly one. So yeah, so j just a couple of things there, just to kind of an interesting story for you. I haven't had a chance to tell you this. Uh, so last week I went over to our local stockyards and I just happened to be there just for a visit. There was a cattle feeder sale. So I was walking in the, the back part of the barn where they bring the animals in and sure enough, there was a few feeder pigs in there and I was standing up on the catwalk above the, the pigs and I see they have ear tags, but they looked funny. So I got a little closer look and I got my phone out and took a picture and, you know, they had ear tags, but they were sheep management tags. So they were yellow tags and the stockyard operators happened to be there. And he looked up and he said, are those the right tags? And I was like, no, they're, they're really not. So, you know, before we get into the enforcement bit, he was said, well, you know, what do we do? And I said, well, you know, the office is four minutes away. I can go get you some tags and we'll get them assigned to the producer and we'll get them moved over. But you know, so we see a few fun things like that, but I think in general, people are pretty compliant. But if they're not, you know, what's the penalty? Yeah, so depending on what the infraction is, I mean, for the most part, it'll be you didn't report the information properly or didn't ID the animals properly. Ultimately, the fine's around 1200 bucks. You know, there's a sliding scale one way or the other, depending on, I guess, how frustrated you uh, you get with the inspector. You know, this is out of our hands, right? It's it's up to the inspectors to decide. But our understanding with the Canadian Food Inspection Agency would be, you know, it should be a written warning the first time. And, and 
you know, and, and from my end, I always welcome those from producers who get one. If you're confused by it or, or don't agree with it, absolutely send it my way, you know, and I'll review that with you. I can, you know, if I see fault with it, I'll, I'll contact CFIA and try to smooth that out. So we try to keep a really close working relationship with the CFIA as well as with the producer. So we see our role more as a liaison, right, to try to help facilitate this. CFIA sees that as well, wanting to work with us as the administrator to you know, to get adoption and, and compliance in a productive way, not a heavy handed way. But that being said, I mean, you know, there's, you know, upwards of 500 to 600 enforcement agents for CFIA across Canada. Some are great to work with, some are a little more difficult, some are, you know, maybe come down a little bit more heavy handed. So, you know, the ball's in their court as to how they want to handle each individual case. And my recommendation to everyone would be just like in hockey, if a referee gives you a penalty, don't mouth them off. Just kind of go with it. Uh, if you have concerns, you know, contact Cork, Nova Scotia or CPC and, and we'll work with you and see what we can do. Here's the market report brought to you by Atlantic Stockyards Limited. Atlantic Stockyards Limited has been Atlantic Canada's major livestock market for over 60 years. The stockyards attract buyers regionally as well as extending into central Canada. Livestock auctions occur every Thursday with cattle, sheep, goats, hogs, rabbits and poultry all featured. Additional information such as previous market reports, feeder sale dates and vaccination forms can be found on AtlanticStockyards.com. For the week ended April 8th, 2022, in the local hog market, base price in Nova Scotia was $2.42 per kilogram, up 2.1 cents from last week. In Ontario, base price was up 2.1 cents from last week to $2.34 per kilogram. In Quebec, base price was $2.37 per kilogram, up 2.2 cents from last week. On the cattle side, fed cattle price at landed beef products remains constant at $2.83 per pound on the rail. In Ontario, live steers sold for $1.67, moving down two cents from last week. And in Quebec, rail price was $2.95, up one cent from last week. Call cattle Atlantic stockyards sold for $1.05, upward change of six cents from last week, while rail price at Atlantic Beef Products was flat at $1.91. Calls in Ontario averaged 97 cents, up three cents from the prior week, and 94 cents Quebec, moving up two cents. Good dairy bob calves between 90 and 120 pounds at Atlantic Stockyards averaged $105, up $23. And good dairy beef bob calves averaged $289, up $138 from last week. Meanwhile, calves in Ontario were up $0.04 cents to a base price of $2.62 per pound, and calves in Quebec were $2.93, a drop of $0.17 cents per pound. Base price for lambs at Northumberland Lambs sits at $15 per kilogram and mutton is at $6.50 per kilogram. 50 to 64 pound lambs at Atlantic Stockyards average $3.48 per pound at 58 pounds, ranging from $3.30 to $3.60. In Ontario, 50 to 64 pound lambs average $4.37 per pound at 59 pounds, ranging from $2.55 to $5.15. For 65 to 79 pound lambs at Atlantic Stockyards, they averaged $3.48 per pound at 72 pounds, ranging from $3.40 to $3.55. In Ontario, 65 to 79 pound lambs averaged $4.20 per pound at 71 pounds, ranging from $1.70 to $4.52 and a half. Use at Atlantic Stockyards range from $85 to $240 averaging $169, and in Ontario, use averaged $1.59 at 153 pounds and range from $0.10 to $3.60. Make sure you check your association websites for additional pricing information.
Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that's an, an important message. Like you say, it doesn't matter whether you're playing sports or get pulled over speeding. If, if you're wrong, you're wrong. And if you're not, then uh, you can work your way through it using the appropriate channels. Let's talk about it in kind of the framework of participation. So, you know, I think in Nova Scotia, you know, I kind of use our metrics as number of hogs we trace versus maybe number of producers that are, are reporting because the majority of our industry is so much commercialized. Seven or eight producers produce about 95 or 98% of our pigs. What does it look like across the country? And are, and are there some provinces like Nova Scotia that would have a little bit different breakdown of commercial versus kind of I call it sub-commercial or, or small-scale production? Yeah. So the first thing I'll say is I'm, and I, I think you'd agree with this. I'm blown away by the level of compliance we have. I think it's, sure. it's better than what I, I would have ever guessed. I mean, there's, there's work to do for sure. You know, to give you a number and I haven't looked at these for a few months, but you know, we're hovering around 80% compliance nationally. And of course there's pockets of provinces doing other than some other regions. And, and a lot of that has to do with the proportion of the small scale community versus large scale or commercial. So those provinces, I mean, British Columbia by far leads the way in terms of proportion. They have about, you know, 1,600 small-scale producers and about 15 commercial producers. So, uh, but every province has a sizable proportion of small-scale producers. The Maritimes, absolutely. Uh, Nova Scotia is a big one. A lot of small-scale producers. There's a lot of great compliance from small-scale producers across Canada. It's just, you're dealing with people, right? You're dealing with more people. For me, if I deal with a maple leaf, that's one large production system that takes care of 200 farms for me. So, you know, so the, the numbers get skewed there a bit. I try not to look at the raw numbers as much as the, the people that we're contacting and the people we're dealing with. So that's why, you know, these days compliance is, is really important for us as we get prepared for African swine fever. If it ever hits our shores, we need to make sure that data is reliable. I've done a lot of work on, on, on getting the data ready, doing some network analysis and stuff like that to get ready for zoning, to understand how pigs are moving in Canada. So if we do get a movement control, how does that impact all of our producers, uh, large and small scale? So, you know, on the compliance side, that's something, as you know, Brad, that we, we continually monitor. We're trying to find ways to do it more efficiently. And like I said, we want to automate it so we can reach out to people directly from the database rather than, you know, me have to crunch the numbers for half a day and then send them out. For sure. And I know that you guys have been doing a pile of work on the data side of this, right? Because there, there's a lot of information here that the industry can use to make a lot of really important decisions going forward. And, you know, you bring up some of the work you've been doing around zoning around uh, related to a major disease outbreak. Can you talk a little bit about on the back end, how you do that? What having data like this is so important so you can start preparing for a disease outbreak or well, a market eruption? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think the first thing I'll point out there is, and this is targeted at the small scale producers is, you know, early on, it was, we thought it would be a small proportion, but obviously it's become a lifestyle and whether it's more and more popular now, or it's just always been there and we didn't know what that has done. And I've done some lobbying in house for the last few years is now we, we have uh, small scale production manuals. And so we're benefiting from the expertise of professional veterinarians and other animal health officials. So delivering, I guess, knowledge about how to raise pigs properly in, in a focused way. It's not, it's not taking what the commercial guys do in a barn and telling a pasture-raised pig how to do it. No, it's, it's focusing on the pasture-raised pig, whatever type of production is done, and delivering products for those folks. So, so that's one big part is just you know, using the data that we have on registrations to know how many small-scale producers are out there. And it's a community that needs to be acknowledged. It's part of the pork production system in Canada. Now, doing the zoning work and, and things like that, there's one of the benefits we have of the way we designed 
the regulation is uh, the dual movement reporting. So moving pigs out has to be reported as well as moving pigs in. So it gives us better reliability on, on the information so we can do the compliance work I talked about. And then we can have more confidence in knowing that we actually have some portion of the movement. So thankfully, most of our movements are reconciled to so the move out and move in are both reported. But for those who aren't, at least we have one part of the story being told to us. And we can use that to map out, you know, with, whether it's a two week time period or a month time period, whatever it is, I can zero in on, show me all the movements in all of Canada, show me all the movements going east, west, interprovincial, whatever the focus is. And there's some free software available where you can visualize this data, right? So it's because it's so much data to digest and spreadsheets and stuff. We're talking about 800,000 movement events a year, you know, so you need a good way to visualize it. So I've been using this uh, network analysis visualization software that at a click of the button, I can create an image that's interactive. I can click on the premises and the arrows between them to see all the, the details of the movements in the premises. So it's, it's, it's all about utilizing that information in a quick way. If we have a disease response, we can't be waiting for three hours to do the data analysis. We have to have it ready to go to inform animal health decisions on the, on the landscape. For sure. And, and I keep thinking back to, to BSE, even though it kind of predates me just a little bit. Like, think of the folks sitting in rooms calling people to try to trace, you know, which animals were where and which animals they were with. And the fact that we can do that within a database and some, some GIS type software now, you know, is, is going to help expedite that response so much that we may not see the same type of market closures that we've maybe seen in the past related to a disease uh, outbreak. Yeah, exactly. And I think the other part of market closures that, you know, and, and, and it's not even just people with livestock, you know, you can talk to normal, just like uh, everyday urban citizens or wherever they live. Why should we care? So what if Canada's locked out of the pork market globally? Well, the pork market brings in a pile of money into this country and a lot of jobs rely on it, um, whether those folks recognize they're directly impacted or not. So for Canada, uh, pork export is, is a huge um, economic driver. It's a big employer. So we'd see real economic downturn if, if our borders were ever closed. So, you know, and that's one part of it. As I said, it's it affects people locally too, whether small scale producers can ship or receive pigs of the stop movement orders in place. Yeah, it's all about utilizing this information in an efficient way to, to help animal health officials do their job when they need to. So you referenced 2014 and we talked a little bit earlier. So we're seven years in. What do the next five or seven years look like as far as what's next with Pig Trace? Uh, either within the system itself, or are we looking at any major regulatory change? Yeah, so <clears throat> I guess priority number one for me, and I mentioned it earlier, is, is to make things usable. So just constantly trying to give value for our users, changing to our mobile platform to be a little bit more stable and be able to do more things as a true app rather than just a web page on a phone. So always just tweaking the system, more outreach on the compliance side, and then uh, you know, integrating, we've already started to do this with our pig safe and pig care programs. So we, we have other on-farm programs uh, we deliver through the Canadian Port Council and our provincial offices. So just trying to create kind of a centralized hub for pork producers, whether you're small scale or, or large scale. Some of the other work we kind of have on the side is, and I don't know if we'll get there ultimately, but you know, it's optional at this point. When we talk about disease response, pig trace is focused on vehicles, transporting hogs and pigs. But disease can transfer by feed trucks, by uh, service personnel coming on and off your farm. None of that's integrated in Pig Trace right now, but we're talking a little bit about having expanding Pig Trace to give you that if you if you want to record some of that information. 
and, and get away from paper log books or whatever. There's some other ways we can do some of that. Of course, that would be voluntary, but I remind you know our leadership that the national database we built for PicTrace is bought and paid for. Let's use it for other things. You know, so we'd be saving a pile of money. So, I mean, to me, the future looks innovative. I think there's lots of opportunities ahead of us, but priority number one for me is is the PicTrace program, making sure it's it's easy for our users and we're getting good compliance. For sure, and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about some of the pie in the sky ideas here in a second. But when, one of the things I just maybe want to touch on real quickly was, you know, we saw a change to part 12 of the health of animal regulations a couple of years back, and they're they're slowly coming into force. How do you make sure that you align the requirements under two fairly different sets of regulations so that, you know, you're not having to double report and it just, it does stay easy like you folks in, in Pigtrace have set it up? Yeah, and and thanks for circling back to the regulations there, Brad, because I forgot to answer that part of your question. So there's two parts. So on the on the pick trace side, there are some little tweaks we want to adjust within the regulations. So that's part 15 of the Federal Health of Animals regulation. If anyone wants to read it, there's a couple little things in there we would like to change. Primarily dealing with movements through assembly yards and how pigs are identified. Again, just to try to streamline and make things simpler for everyone. And there'll be some other little minor tweaks. And that regulatory amendment, I mean, it's been put off for years. It was, we were expecting it in 2016, we are 2021. So I don't know when it'll come about, but CFI is aware of our concerns. Now the part 12 regulations for transfer of care, humane transportation, a lot of the information that's required to be recorded on a manifest by a transporter is pretty similar to what's required for PicTrace. We intentionally kind of, or I guess CFI intentionally kept them separate because they, you know, government's really narrow in what they can use data for and what, you know, what a regulation can require. So that cross compliance or cross collection of information for two different sections of a regulation is not easy for government, I think, to accomplish in terms of a regulatory perspective. But for us as administrators of the program, I mean, we work for farmers. We can give you and we can develop tools to make your life easier. And that's something that we'll have underway as well. I mentioned the redevelopment of our PicTrace mobile. We want to have it blended so it's accomplishing both your PicTrace requirements and your Part 12 requirements for humane transport. Ontario Pork and Alberta Pork also have some local tools they're using to do the same. So we're trying to, you know, those of us who are working for the pork sector, kind of aggregate these different requirements into a single tool so you're not duplicating effort. And we recognize that. There's lots of burden of regulatory requirements, all these things you got to do, just trying to make it as simple as possible. We've got a little ways to go yet, but that's our goal. For sure. And, you know, maybe one of the other things that I think will will make things a little easier over time, and I'm I'm not sure how exactly this fits maybe with hog movements, but we've seen a little bit on the cattle and sheep side is the use of technology, uh, whether it's scanning systems or RFID. Uh, Where do you see that playing a role in pig trace in the future? Well, already, so we do, I I guess we didn't focus on this too much. The types of ear tags we sell, so we have visual tags, smaller tags for piglets, larger tags for breeding animals. And we also sell electronic tags, and those would be with our our larger panels, primarily meant for breeding animals. And we, we started getting ahead of that. So unlike some of the other sectors, you're not required to buy an electronic tag. It's up to you. If you want to buy a visual tag, it's about the third the price. But we do have technology in, in our sow barns for electronic sow feeding systems or electronic feeding systems as a whole, which use either low frequency or high frequency um, identification for triggering the feed. So our tags will work with those systems. We want to continue to refine and make sure we're selling the best quality ear tag for, for the systems that are out there. We haven't had a whole pile of uptake. The main reason is, and we haven't talked about this, it's illegal to cut out an approved tag. 
whether it's for sheep or cattle or pigs. So if it's a government approved traceability ear tag, it's illegal to cut it out. And, you know, a lot of the commercial uh, electronic ear tags on the market, you can cut them out and reuse them. And typically you get maybe two or three cycles out of them through an animal. So cost wise, you know, our tags cheaper, but you can only use it one time. To answer your question quickly, yeah, we're we're well aware of the where of where technology is going. We're looking at different ways we can serve that. Whether it's us starting to sell maybe just commercial products for that, so it's not a government approved ear tag. We, you know, if you call us and get a pig trace tag, and also want electronic tags, maybe we'll have some commercial products we can sell you. But that's uh, that's not confirmed yet. All right, Jeff, that's all the questions I have for today. Again, I definitely want to thank you and Miriam and the and the rest of the. CPC team that help, uh, especially small PPOs like us, administer the program and uh, look forward to any way we can work with you. Yeah, I really appreciate it, Brad, and I appreciate your focus on this topic. I know it's not the most uh, interesting one for a lot of people, but it is a really critical one, and there's some really cool stuff we're starting to do with the information. Awesome. Thanks. We'll, We'll chat again later. All right. Thanks, Brad. Don't want to miss any future episodes? Subscribe to a Maritime Acast today through Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast platform. This concludes another episode of Maritime AgCast. We would like to thank our producer, the Agri-Commodity Management Association, Director Ashley, as well as Matt Widower and Micah Dahl-Anderson of archesaudio.com for providing the music you heard during this episode. Until next time, happy farming and keep feeding the Maritimes.